Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have decided to join us for worship this morning. We pray that God speaks to you and meets with you in the way that you need to meet with him and to hear from him today. Uh, We believe that we serve a living and active God and that God has presence in this place. He's been present with you before now, but we hope now in these moments as we focus our attention that God would speak to you in clear ways. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be jumping into a a sermon series that focuses on repentance. Just last Wednesday uh, was a very important day. Does anybody know what Wednesday was? Yeah, I I hear the, the answers exactly the way I expected it. Valentine's Day, but it was also Ash Wednesday. It was Ash Wednesday, and we had... We had an Ash Wednesday service here at First Baptist Church. Now, I know that it was Valentine's Day, and it was an important day. I just confess to you, it's been asked, it's been asked, did we plan Ash Wednesday on, to have the service because it was on Valentine's Day? And no, that's not true. That was the Lord. The Lord put Ash Wednesday on Valentine's Day. It was just a happy coincidence. Uh, Personally, I am not a fan of Valentine's Day. I find it to be the most worthless of holidays, because if I am not expressing to Robin that I love her every Every day, then I'm certainly not going to be able to do it on Valentine's Day, right? We got to make up and make sure. So just a little challenge to y'all that if your wives don't know that you love them every day, y'all need to get with it, all right? I kid, kind of. But Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It was the start of the Lenten season, the period of time that leads up to Easter or Resurrection Sunday, And on Ash Wednesday, what happens usually in in high church traditions, more liturgical traditions, is that people come together and they have a service that all revolves around the imposition of ashes. You know, someone said, really, that was his Valentine's Day gift to his wife, that he rubbed ashes in her forehead and told her she was a sinner and going to die? I didn't make the rules. That was, that's just liturgical calendar, right? But that is the point of the service in many churches, As you come in and they have this whole service that laments sin and recognizes the reality, remembers as they put the ashes on your head, from ash you have come or from dust you have come and to dust you shall return. The point of this service is to recognize the great consequence of our sin. To recognize that that as it says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. To recognize what we're going to look at this morning in Genesis that God said, do not do this, and if you do, the moment that you do, you will die, and we have been dying ever since. It's to remind us of the frailty and fragility of this life, and to remind us that without the hope of the resurrection, as Paul says, we are of all people the most to be pitied. From dust you have come to dust you shall return. It's a reminder that's often pronounced during funerals at grave sites, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We commit this body to the ground. Throughout the Bible, however, ashes were placed on one's head to indicate lament and mourning or repentance. The words used come at the end of the curse in Genesis 3. From du- for dust you are, and to dust you will return. But they fail to highlight 
the hope of the gospel. They fail to recognize that we are called to repentance because of the hope of new life. So if you were with us on on Wednesday night, you realized that we didn't actually say from dust you have come to dust you shall return. We take a little more optimistic stance and as we imposed ashes, we said, repent and believe the gospel. That's what we wanna do with you as we move towards the glory of the resurrection, the tragedy of the cross, but the glory of the resurrection. We want to encourage you Yes, to recognize our faults and failures, our sins. We want to encourage one another to repent and to look at what repentance means and what it looks like. But we don't want to stop with just recognizing our sin and repentance and turning back to God. We want to know why we're turning back to God. We want to help you believe the gospel. So this week, we're going to start where it all begins in the dust. Before we turn to the word of God this morning, will you go with me once again to the Lord in prayer? Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you for the great love with which you have loved us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I thank you for the sacrificial gift you gave for us on the cross. And as we come into this Lenten season where we focus on the road to Jerusalem and the reality of your death, Lord, I just cannot hold back the truth that we already know, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. That repentance is important because of the righteousness of God and the righteousness of God matters because of the imputation that God puts his righteousness upon, with which God puts his righteousness upon us. That through repentance, we can enter into right relationship with God, be sealed by the power and sanctification of the Holy Spirit and be confident in salvation by grace through faith. This morning, Lord, as we start at creation and look at the glory, the intent, and the intimacy of our, the creative act around humanity. Lord, may we remember that we are bearers of the divine image, the Imago Dei. May we seek to reflect your face and your presence in this world and not simply to reproduce the flawed image of humanity. Speak to us in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I noted, we're going to start in the dust, down in the dirt. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is the, the account coming out of Genesis 1. Now, we, there's often some confusion because if you read through Genesis 1, you have this uh, Reader's Digest version of the creation narrative, and, and God gives us some of the high points of, and this is how I created the sky, and this is the sun and the moon and the earth and the animals, and, and the point of, of Genesis 1 is not to give us a detailed account. There's a great many animals that God doesn't tell us exactly how he created them, where, or what the purpose is behind them. God is just giving us, I created all of this. It's mine, and I am sovereign over all of it. Then he ends with the culmination of his, the crowning achievement of his creation, the creation of humanity, Adam. When we step into chapter two, and it's like a, it's like a bounce back in time, and, and we see a detailed description of what, how exactly God created Adam and Eve. It's not a different account. 
right? So I want everybody to understand that as we go into this, because we're going to jump to chapter one and then again to chapter three, but chapter two is the focus because that is the detailed account of how God created humanity. So we're going to start Genesis two, verse four. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of the garden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It's winds through the entire land of Havala where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth is the river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Interestingly enough, what a good Valentine's Day passage, right? Didn't plan that, but here we have the first Valentine's Day when God brings his wife, this, this woman that was created for him. God creates Adam, and he creates Eve, brings the woman to him, and Adam is like, amazing! Seen all these animals, but none like me, and here's this one. Whoa, man! Right? That's what I've always heard. But as we look at this and as we consider the entirety of the creative creation narrative, if we were to go back to Genesis 1 and read through it, which we won't do, we, we notice that there's just something a little bit different about humanity. That, that God created humanity with special intent and intimacy. God created humanity with special intent and special intimacy. Something shifts in the way God works when he comes to humanity. Humanity, to borrow a phrase from today's youth, humanity is quite literally built different. 
Y'all ever heard any kids say that phrase? It's like a big thing right now. JJ loves to walk around the house without his shirt on, flexing his muscles, talking about how he's built different. Right? He talks about how, like, he'll be pumping muscle, and, 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 and I don't know anything about lifting weights. You know, as Robin likes to say, I'm a little more of an avocado. You know, I'm the good kind of fat. And... And I like ice cream entirely too much to ever get skinny. So it is what it is, right? But JJ, JJ is like a metabolizing machine. He's constantly running. He's constantly working out. Like even when he is playing games in his room, the boy can't sit still. And he's always doing something. So JJ, listen, I'm going to be honest. If I had JJ's physique, I would walk around the house without a shirt on all the time too. Because compared to me, the boy is built different, right? And when we talk about that all the time, we recognize these undeniable facts that we have to with JJ, right? He's getting stronger by the day, constantly working out, constantly getting his gains. The kid's cut. He's built like a finely tuned race car. I'm built like a 1990s Ford Aerostar. He's built for performance and I'm built for comfort and basic functionality. He's built different. Now we kid, but according to the Bible, the reality is that all of humanity is in fact built different. And and I don't just mean that in the colloquial sense, they were literally created and formed differently than God had formed any other part of creation. Humanity was created with special intent and intimacy. We'll start with the intimacy. God created humanity with a special intimacy, both both in how he created humanity and the intent for humans. There is a pattern, if you go back and look throughout Genesis 1, there is a pattern in the wording that is used throughout the creation narrative. The pattern goes something like this. And God said, let there be, and there was. And God said, let there be, and there was. Now, it differentiates a little bit, like you can look and it's let, let the bird, the sky produce birds, let the earth produce, let the, but there's let there be, that's the general trend, it is a passive thing, right? That let this just happen. Now don't get me wrong, God is, God is the creative agent, right? I am not saying that God is just taking his, well he actually is literally taking his hands off, but God is actively involved in overseeing and administrating, it is through the power of God that all creation takes place, right? That, that's what we see in Genesis chapter one. But when we get to the end of Genesis chapter one, when we get down to verse 26 and 27, God changes and switches the pattern. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. God said, let there be. God said, let us make in our image. We could actually look back and it says, for each of the other creations, it says, let us make and have them produce according to their kind. Right? Everything else produces just simply according to its kind. Everything else in creation was designed to reflect its own, its own species, its own kind. But then you get to humanity and God says, that's not good enough for this creation. I want this creation to reflect me. Let's make man to reflect our image. 
The language changes from passive to personal. From third person to first. From just speaking to God, forming, uh, giving us this anthropomorphized vision of God getting down in the dirt and forming out of the dust the mold, like building an amazing sandcastle of a person. Have you ever seen those when you go to the beach? You walk around and you're like, that looks like a real mermaid. Like you put skin on that thing and color it up and that's a real thing. Well, that's kind of what God did, right? That's how I imagine it. That God getting down in the, the sand with, with his, his various tools and with his hands and he, he sculpts and shapes the man out of the dust of the earth, puts it together. But unlike us, he doesn't just leave it there for the tide to sweep it away. No, 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 no. God breathes life into it. And it doesn't just look real, it becomes real. Humanity alone is given this special distinction among all of creation. Genesis 2, 4 through 7, we see that rather than just speaking the first person into existence, God formed them out of the dust with his own hands. God likewise, lest lest we, we get lost in this whole gender superiority, God forms Eve with his own hands as well, doesn't he? God recognizes that Adam has no helper suitable to him, so he makes Adam fall asleep, takes a rib from Adam, closes up the hole, does a little surgery, and then from the, earth, from the rib forms a woman, forms the partner for Adam. Once again, both with the man and the woman, you see God being hands-on in his creation. And again, if you look at the creative narrative, It is only with mankind that the text tells us both male and female created he them. Everything else, it's like, there's gonna be birds, birds, and there's gonna be a whole bunch of mammals, and there are mammals, and there are gonna be fish and things in the sea, and there were fish and things in the sea, but we get to the humanity, and God specifically, carefully, and meticulously creates the man, and then specifically and carefully and meticulously creates and forms the woman. Just, just listening to that, even saying that this morning, I, I find myself being in awe of the grace of God. The idea that, that God would, even in our creation, right? We, we like to talk about the condescension that Jesus came down to earth to, to live a life, to get, to, to get in the dirt and to bring about our salvation. But that's not the first time. That, there's, there's a precedent for that. God, throughout history, from the very beginning of creation, God came down to earth, got in the dirt, got face to face with us in order that we might have life. There's a special intimacy there. And it's not just that that God got his hands dirty. Kent Wagner likes to say, only with humanity did God get his hands dirty in creation. But it wasn't just his hands, was it? Because the text tells us that God got face to face with the man and breathed the spirit of life into him. Is there anything more intimate than CPR, like really. It's one thing to like, it's one thing to kiss the face of someone that you love who's, who's all made up and, and they're ready to go out for Valentine's Day and they're clean and they smell good. It's a little bit different when they wake up in the morning and their breath is all rank and they got morning breath and bedhead going on, 
right? We'd agree with that, but we could get with that because that's your spouse and it's okay. But then we go to the next level when someone has, has fallen and is choking and has vomit all over their face and you're gonna get down and breathe into that person? That's a special amount of love. Like cutting through all the dirt to breathe life into that person. And here we've got in the text that God gets down and breathes into dirt of the ground the breath of life. That's intimate, is it not? This image of God giving mouth to mouth and he's not just breathing air into the man. He is breathing the very spirit, the pneuma into humanity. It's part of what separates us from 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 the rest of creation. We weren't just created with life in us. No, no, no. God himself breathed life into us after forming us with his very hands. Made us to be like him, to reflect his image, to replicate the image of God in our lives, not just to replicate unto our own kind. Even in the act of creation, we see God's grace. It's God's breath that turns the lifeless dust of humanity into a living thing. Intimacy is inherent in the very act of creation. And we were created with the intent that God would be in relationship with us. We can look in the very next chapter and God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the proverbial garden up until that point, but we know that God came and, and there was a practice of God coming and walking with humanity. And we can look throughout the rest of scripture and we know that God's desire is to be in relationship. God has gone to great lengths to prove his love and his desire to be in relationship with us. And we see that start with creation. But it wasn't just that humanity was created with special intimacy. Humanity was created with special intent or purpose. To reflect the divine image, I've said it several times. Rather than being created to simply reflect and reproduce according to our own kind, to, to reflect like, like we do, and, and we do, right? There is a sense where, where our reproductive act produces things that are according to our kind. There is no die, denying that Michaela Myers is Robin Myers' daughter, right? I mean, you gotta be careful around them because they look the same. You gotta be careful when you call them on the phone because they sound the same, there's no denying it. We, we reproduced according to her kind, right? Now, JJ doesn't have the beard right now and he's got a lot more hair, but JJ looks a lot like I did when I kid. We reproduced according to our kind. But there's more than that. We carry the Imago Dei. And we see this reflected in humanity in at least four ways. Humanity reflects God's image in our natural capacities. Humans have intellect, emotions, and will. We're able to process and make decisions based on reason and morality. We are not stuck in our instinct. We can override the internal programming and do something else. We have will in a way that nothing else in creation does. Now granted, we can train animals to do things that are against their will, but it's a lot harder. We can do it of our own choosing. We have creative capacities, the ability to create and build and design and put things together in a way that nothing else in creation does. We are able to communicate back and forth in great deal, detail through language. 
Second, humanity reflects God's image through righteousness, or at least it did originally. That's the design. In their original state, Adam and Eve were absolutely perfect. That's what it is communicating when it says at the end of chapter two that the husband and wife were walking around the garden and they were naked and they were not ashamed. You know, we've turned that into a trite TV show, but there's intent behind that. That they had nothing to hide. That in their original created state, they were created to reflect the righteousness of God. To live in the righteousness of God. They were sinless and without shame. Now granted, that is a piece of the divine image that has been marred by sin and that is only restored by faith in the shed blood of Jesus. Third, humanity is able to reflect God's image in relationship with one another. Again, only in, with, with humanity it stated that God created them male and female. And just as God lives in perfect unity and relationship with himself as the Trinity, we too were made to live in relationship with God and with one another. We have the ability to join together in community based on love, commitment, and mutual interest. We can see the inherent dignity in one another and the need to live with mutual respect towards one another and God. Or... We can override that and ignore it altogether. Finally, humanity reflects the image of God in our responsibility. Nothing else in creation was given a job other than to reproduce according to its kind. It's only with humanity that God says, look, you've got a job. You're gonna care for the garden. First, Adam is given the job of naming all of the creatures. At what point do you think Adam just finally ran out of names and was like, you're flying around, you're a fly, right? Like he just was done because he'd named so many creatures and just started throwing, you're little, you're an ant, small word, right? Like how, how far did he get in in the naming of all of the many creatures? But he had that special responsibility. And not only did he have the, that, that responsibility to name leads on to where the, the man and the woman were set in the garden to care for the garden. Now, some of our translations talk about humanity being placed in the garden to have dominion over that. And we think then that it's our job to come in and rule over creation. But that's not what the wording is intended to, to reflect. Our job is stewardship. We are to steward this great thing that God had made, to oversee creation and to care for it, to nurture it, and to help it grow and become what God has made it to be. We may be dirt balls at our core, but God made us to be so much more through his power and his presence in us. We were made with special intimacy to be in special relationship with God and special intent. We have purpose and we have a job to reflect God and to make his kingdom known in the world. Now, God warned of the cost of deviating from his design. God warned of the cost from devi of deviating from his design, did he not? We, we can look back and we see it. Lord made the man, verse 15, Lord made the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. We see that special intent or design. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God made a world full of yes with one no. God made a world full of yes with one no. That's a pretty sweet deal, right? That you've got all of this thing, you've got all of these trees, all of these plants that are producing all of these amazing fruits that are beautiful to the eye and good for food. You can eat any of them, but there's one of them. Just don't eat from that one. And really, that is the test. The test is two trees, right? That there's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you can have for anything, even this tree that brings eternal life, but don't eat for this tree that is going to give you some special knowledge. I find it funny when people talk about this. They want to blame God. As if God did something wrong and terrible in this. Well, how dare God? Why would God even put that tree in the garden? Who cares? There's a lot of good fruits out there, right? I was just in India where you can literally eat just about anything off any plant and it tastes reasonably good. This, this garden, and, and in India, you've got to figure out, is it going to kill me or not? Because there are some things. This garden, everything is good for food. You can eat anything and it's good for you. Adam could go literally anywhere. There was no worrying about borders. There was no worried about, about different people and wars. There, was no, there were no problems. He could go anywhere he wanted. He could do just about anything he wanted to, and he could eat literally anything. And God says, look, there's one tree. Just don't eat from that one. World full of yeses, one No. The presence of the tree of knowledge and good and evil was a simple test. Because remember, God created humanity in his image. They can't be in that special intimate relationship if humanity does not have an option. The option was necessary. We would, we would just as likely say that God was being unfair if God didn't give humanity a choice, wouldn't we? Then we would complain, oh, God just created robots and he's just moving them around the board. But God didn't. God gave us options, but he stacked the deck in humanity's favor, and we still screwed it up. Would human, the question was, would humankind trust, submit to, and follow the Lord God, or would they choose to deviate and go their own way? And humanity has a long, self-destructive history of ignoring the word of God and doing our own thing, don't we? The irony is we look at Adam and Eve and we think, Psh, Man, what bums. Our great, 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 infinite, great Mima and Peepaw messed it up back in the garden and they had one job. But do we not do the same thing in our own life? Yes, our temptations are many, but how often do we trip over the smallest things? And even the smallest asks become huge things that we can't seem to get over. Nothing makes us want to do something like being told no, does it? Adam's and Eve's decision to choose the no is a feature that they've passed on to every human that's ever born. Isn't that the most common word used with a toddler? I mean, it's amazing that somehow they, they learn the words mama or dada first because they've been hearing no forever. Most common word in a house with a toddler. 
You know what's interesting about that? Is our, choo- our choice to go after the one no in a whole creation of yeses marred the image of God in us and consequently we are now creating and reproducing according to our own kind. That's the greatest destruction that happened in the sin in the garden. Was the marring of the divine image and and the, the limitation of our capacity to truly reflect the divine image. Our choice to get back in the dirt and do our own thing. The devil answered the question, asked the question, did God say? You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will die. Yes, that's exactly what God said. Our selfish deviation mucked up and impacted our ability to do what we were created to do. Reflect the divine image and introduced death into the order of creation. And death and destruction are at the core of the curse. Spiritual and social death were immediate. And the signs can still be seen in our relationships with one another today. And one day, all physically will die. The divine breath will leave our bodies and we will return to the dust. And without divine intervention, that death just leads to a greater death. You see, sin carries consequences. But God promised to provide a savior. Sin carries consequences, but God promised a savior. We see the consequences again that everything in creation is at battle with itself. I won't read chapter three. You can look at it. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, Almost immediately after the reality of their, their eating the one no, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they came to an understanding that they were naked and that they were somehow less than. With the need to hide and cover themselves, shame enters the garden. You realize that shame is not part of God's original design for us. It's something that we chose. And it's, it's our choice to, to believe that we know better than God, that we can do better than God, that, that consistently causes the shame to bubble to the surface in us. It's, that's the sin, that we go and do our own thing. We don't worry about what God said. Instead, we do what we want. We see that Adam turned on the God who formed him from the dust of the earth and the woman that was formed from him. God comes and Adam and Eve are trying to hide themselves and and God says, whoa, Adam, what did you do? Did you eat from that tree? And Adam says, the woman that you gave me, gave it to me. God, it's her fault, but really if you think about it, it's your fault because you gave her to me. The woman turns on the created beings around her. Well, the serpent said, and so I ate. Ultimately, all of nature would battle for supremacy, humans against humans, and and the earth itself against us as it produced weeds and and thistles and thorns, and, and the world no longer worked in tandem with us, no longer responded to the authority that was given to us. We would fight for authority over one another, wife over husband, husband over wife, and humanity over creation itself. And the dirt from which we were taken 
would fight against us. Because of our sin, we're fighting a losing battle. Brothers and sisters, there is no path to restoration and the righteous life that God has for us doing our own thing. That's what got us in this mess in the first place. What took us from being the special creation that God made and got us back into the dirt where we'll ultimately reside without redemption. Our sin cost us greatly. The special intent and intimacy between us and God was broken, reducing us to nothing more than living, breathing balls of dirt. But, couched in the curse is the promise of the gospel. At the point of our greatest failure, God proclaimed ultimate success. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity or separation between the snake or, or the devil and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, this isn't just a general all of humanity thing. Sure, like it's natural for us to be afraid of, of snakes and certain things in nature. It's natural for us to recognize the devil as our adversary, but it becomes very personal when it gets to the second part of that passage, doesn't it? When it says that he will crush your head. Oh, you'll, you'll nip at his heel, but he's gonna crush your head. God promised to one day send one born of woman who would repair what we had broken, who would restore what we had lost. One who would make way for us to once again live in right relationship with God, restoring our special intimacy and once again provide us with opportunity to live with special intent and purpose. Romans 5.17 tells us this, for if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus? You know, it is true. We can look at the end of chapter three, verse 20 the inspiration of this message, but it's not the point. The culminating consequence of our sin, verse 19, excuse me, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam's sin cost us. Our sin costs us. But God... In his grace, once again, condescended and came down to earth to bring about redemption and restoration through the work and person of Jesus Christ. It is true that from dust you have come and to dust you shall return. Maybe be mindful of our mortality. But that's not the end of the story. Sure, we should recognize our frailty and our sin, but we recognize our frailty and sin so we can understand the greatness of God and his wonderful grace. So I say to you this morning, and we will say to you regularly over the next several weeks, repent and believe the gospel. 
Yes, from dust you have come and to dust you have returned, but God has made you for more and God seeks to live in right relationships with you by grace through faith. God seeks to allow his breath to reside, his spirit to move in and through you and our design is not that we would reflect according to our own kind, but that we would reflect the divine image. Repent and believe the gospel receive the righteousness of God and reflect his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that though we fail you time without number, God, you continually come to us, you continually seek to restore us and to lift us up, that that you are a God who never gives up on us, God, may we see the glory of the redemption that you offer us through Jesus. May we this morning recognize our sin and repent of our failure. May we recognize our frailty, but accept the reality of eternity that you have placed in our hearts and the relationship that you seek to live in with us both now and forevermore through the shed blood of Christ. Lord, we confess this morning that we are from dirt. We confess that we need you. We ask you to meet us where we are, to remind us of your grace and goodness through Jesus Christ, and to help us to reflect your glory and goodness in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.